The Odyssey of the Odyssey by Elizabeth Liz Kay. Here are some quotes from the Odyssey. Of all creatures that breathe and move upon the earth, nothing is bred that is weaker than man. There is a time for many words, and there is also a time for sleep. There is nothing more admirable than when two people who see eye to eye keep house as man and wife, confounding their enemies and delighting their friends. Be strong, saith my heart. I am a soldier. I have seen worse sights than this. For a friend with an understanding heart is worth no less than a brother. Sleep, delicious and profound, the very counterfeit of death. Men are so quick to blame the gods. They say that we devise their misery, but they themselves in their depravity design a greater grief than the griefs that fate assigns. Ah, how shameless the way these mortals blame the gods. From us alone they come all these miseries, yes, but they themselves, with their own reckless ways, compound their pains beyond their proper share. And it's the wine that leads me on, the wild wine that sets the wisest man to sing at the top of his lungs, to laugh like a fool. It drives the man to dancing. It even tempts him to blur out stories that are better never told. The blade itself incites to deeds of violence. Each man delights in the work that suits him best. And empty words are evil. Some things you will think of yourself, and some things God will put into your mind. There will be killing till the score is paid. Now from his breast into the eyes the ache of longing mounted, and he wept at last. His dear wife, clear and faithful, in his arms, Longed for as the sun-warmed earth is longed for by a swimmer spent in rough waters where his ship went down under Poseidon's blows. Gale winds and tons of sea. Few men can keep alive through a big surf to crawl clotted with iron on kindly beaches in joy. An absolute joy knowing the abyss is behind. And so she too rejoiced, her gaze upon her husband, her white arms round him pressed as though forever. Few sons are like their fathers. Most are worse, few better. Out of sight and out of mind. Why cover the same ground again? It goes against my grain to repeat a tale told once and told oh so clearly. Take courage, my heart. You have been through worse than this. Be strong, saith the heart. I am a soldier. And I have seen worse sights than this. Yes, and if some god shall wreck me in the wine-dark deep, even so I will endure. For already have I suffered full much, and much have I toiled in perils of waves and war. Let this be added to the tale of those. Sing to me, muse, and through me tell the story of that man skilled in always contending, the wanderer, Hurried through the years, harried for years on end. Immortals are never alien to one another. 
So the gods don't hand out all their gifts at once, not build and brains and flowing speech to all. One man may fail to impress us with his looks, but a god can crown his words with beauty, charm, and men look on with delight when he speaks out. Never faltering, filled with winning self-control, he shines forth at assembly grounds, and people gaze at him like a god when he walks through the streets. Another man may look like a deathless one on high, but there's not a bit of grace to crown his words. Just like you, my fine, handsome friend. Even his griefs are a joy long after to one that remembers all that he wrought and endured. These nights are endless, and a man can sleep through them, or he can enjoy listening to stories, and you have no need to go to bed before it is time. Too much sleep is only a bore, and of the others, any one whose heart and spirit urge him can go inside and sleep. And then when the dawn shows, breakfast first, then go out to tend the swine of our master. But we too, sitting here in the shelter, eating and drinking, shall entertain each other, remembering and retelling our sad sorrows. For afterwards, a man who has suffered much and wandered much has pleasure out of his sorrows. Ares has in his many fits, knows no favorites. By hook or by crook, this peril, too, shall be something that we remember. For as long as I can remember, I have loved stories. I love how the characters develop and figure out their lives. I love how all these different worlds are intricately built. I love how themes are explored and contradicted throughout its entirety and past the end. I love how emotions are drawn out at just the right moments when you don't expect them. I love how I can laugh at different points in the story, even the ones that aren't supposed to be funny. I love how my favorite characters' respective personalities are finally fleshed out and become relatable to not just me, but to everyone else. It is incredibly interesting to find out how many different writers and artists alike thrived and failed in certain areas of their craft. And this serves as a great case study for how to be better than the material that is given to us. There are also untested waters in storytelling just waiting for archetypes to be deconstructed in order to find their values and then reconstructed into something unbelievably good better even. There are bizarre concepts that are waiting to be explored and have themes applied to them in order to be torn apart and nitpicked before being patched up again. The best one of all is imagining all the different kinds of stories you wish you had known as a child and finding the right means to make said stories possible. This is why I chose to study the effect that Homer's Odyssey has had on humanity as one of the greatest stories ever told. The Odyssey was an epic crafted by an ancient Greek artist by the name of Homer, who was one of the few people in the world that knew how to properly tell a story in the year 8 BC. This was the perfect tool to craft tales that would have a lasting impact on literature in the millennia to come. In a pre-agricultural society, knowing how to read and write was a rare skill 
in a world where the main form of storytelling was an oral tradition. Since the only way to spread word was by mouth, there were different variations of this lengthy poem. After a swift retelling of the actual story yet again, I'll explain how it was told throughout history. After the Spartans won the Trojan War, Ulysses set off on a quest to return home to Ithaca, but was constantly thwarted by the god of the sea, Poseidon. He, along with his crew, overcame the trials set by the Lotus Island, Circe's Island, Polyphemus's Island, the Sirens, the island of the cannibalistic Lestrigonians, or Canadians for short, thank you Percy Jackson and the Olympians, and an old blind prophet who foretold the end of the story, only for them to confront the troubles at their home before earning their much-deserved happy ending. One of the most profound examples of love is when a man fights against all the unimaginable odds thrown at him in order to get back home to his loved ones, and it is showcased epically in this story. Gruesome adventure is ideal for those who are discontented with a day-in and out routine who want more to the life they were given. The philosophers were trying to figure out why the world acted the way that it did, and crafted the concept of gods who dominated nature and demanded satisfaction in every way in order to not rain disaster on their lands. They built a religion based on that concept, which added fuel to the story as to how the heroes were able to accomplish their respective goals in Greek mythology, thus providing the basis for Homer's story. It was revolutionary due to it being a combination of important topics for those who sought knowledge and understanding about the world they were trying to figure out. The reason this work of literary art was studied so thoroughly for centuries on end is because at the time it was told, it consisted of as well as discussed topics on adventure, romance, problem solving, religion, survival, and war. When the Odyssey became a hot topic of discussion in Greece, where they cultivated philosophy and democracy, it became one of the many nations that prioritized learning everything they could about the world they live in in order to inspire future generations to both challenge and change it. This driving mindset served as the educational foundation for future scholars as they pursue the theories crafted by the dead who knew somewhat of the legacy they left behind. Homer's legacy was being the poet whose works were the first to come to mind at the word epic being used as a noun, which honestly sets the bar rather high if I'm being completely honest. As humanity found its mold to begin shaping the world, inspired by the words passing on from the scholars and philosophers alike, the common man made it a point to prioritize knowing how to write and read, thus ushering in the agricultural era. Those people who integrated this poem into their educational system was the Byzantine Empire, who was going through a cultural change and establishing rules so that they made sure their best students and teachers alike could read know and understand everything about the Odyssey because its themes were important discussion topics. In the year 1488, a Greek scholar by the name Demetrius 
had the Odyssey published through the printing press in its original text in order to be studied by those who could do so. Granted, the military, churches, and various merchants were the ones who took to reading and writing, but it was progress that breached out of local scholars and philosophers. After the Protestant Reformation movement in 1517, where Martin Luther posted the 95 Theses, he totally nailed it, by the way. More and more people began teaching themselves how to read and write in order to not be misled by anyone, especially when the Catholic Church had already done such awful things because they told the public it was for God. The myth made its way to the English language where George Chapman published it in the year 1614 and found itself on many bookshelves by those who sought to be as educated as possible. Soon, various myths and legends were being published thanks to Johann Gutenberg's printing press, which saved a crap ton of time and sore hands from monks and writing and rewriting several passages by hand because they could literally not afford to make any more mistakes. That invention wove its way into the world of literature in various cultures to start sharing the stories that had been passed down for centuries. That was also the time when the new scholars realized the power they had in retelling those myths and legends in manners that would fancy them and their perceptions on the lessons from the stories. While the phrase, absolute power corrupts absolutely, stands in many fields of work, it's dangerous in terms of writing and rewriting histories and legends. Since there are many different publishing companies in the United States of America, some of them are self-published. And since every person is different, each of them have their own idea about how the story should be told as well as interpreted. The first of those retellings was when James Joyce published his novel Ulysses in the year 1922 in Dublin, Ireland. Ever since society emerged into the industrial age, even though the writing was absolutely atrocious, looking at you, Benjamin Harris, it shows that there are some pieces of knowledge and information that learned people are more than willing to share. Sure, it was to solely benefit them and their respective legacies, but the point still stands as a somewhat noble gesture for the general public. This style of manufacturing something inspired others to create businesses revolving around that idea instead of spending the rest of their lives farming on their ancestors' lands. This action is similar to the protagonist in the Odyssey, Ulysses, when he takes control of his destiny when after fighting valiantly in the war against Troy, he has to go home in a needlessly complicated manner. Manufacturing as a whole helped, uh, helped American society trailblaze into the information age, thanks to the inventions such as the Morse code, such as Morse code, that paved the way for radio in the 1930s. Then talking pictures hogged the entertainment spotlight in the 1940s during World War II due to the newsreels that showcased updates on a war front in Europe. After the war was fought and won, television was established in the 1950s and challenged the two entertainment mediums. After TV was normalized in the 1960s and 1970s, a new form of entertainment made its debut, video games. 
as that market suffered competition with computers, computer games, and market saturation for the next decade. Movie franchises such as Star Wars made their debut, thus making the theater experiences worthwhile again. Then there was the release of TV movies that served their purpose as cable station filler. The Odyssey has subtly woven its name into each of these forms of entertainment throughout society for decades that went beyond printed renditions of the poem. In the world of video games, the name of the company that created the first video game, Pong, was called Odyssey. In terms of radio, one of the most renowned radio dramas for kids is focused on the family's adventures in Odyssey which was created in the year 1987 and to this day serves as a means of teaching kids about history and faith. In the world of TV, CBC produced a somewhat successful TV series depicting Greek mythology in the 1990s. There is a European collaboration miniseries that was created in the year 1968 called Laodicea, which was praised for being faithful to the source material, even though the creators were French, Italian, German, and Yugoslavian. There was also an Italian opera that was written in the year 1640 that was inspired by the second half of the Odyssey called Il Ritorno di Odyssey in Patria. Apparently, there's a Japanese-French anime that came out in the year 1981 that was promptly called Ulysses 31 and should stay buried. There was also a Broadway production in 1976 called Homer Sweet Homer that flopped spectacularly due to the opening being postponed, dropping group sales by $25,000, $250,000. As Steel Magnolia's Weezer Borderos states pointedly, I do not see plays because I can nap at home for free, and I don't see movies because they're trash, and they got nothing but naked people in them. And I don't see book, and I don't read books, because if they're any good, they're going to make them into a miniseries. Then, lo and behold, the age of the miniseries comes rushing in and flooding our screens. The best-known portrayal of the Odyssey in terms of, ser of a series is the miniseries aptly called The Odyssey that was made in the year 1997 and aired on NBC. It was a two-part miniseries produced by the renowned Francis Ford Coppola and, and starring Armad Asante and Christopher Lee, the latter whom I know better due to the Lord of the Rings trilogy. It was also one of the projects that was not filmed in the States, but in various parts of Europe instead. One of the fascinating tidbits of trivia was that the Jim Henson creative shop did the mythological special effects which explained a lot of the puppet-like movements of the monsters. The most anyone who saw the show could recall was the romantic line, I would rather lie in my wife's arms for a moment than to spend forever without her. There was also the problem-solver quote from the goddess of wisdom, Athena, when she says pointedly, The gods cannot do for man what man must do for himself. This adaption, like most miniseries, was focused on the adventure, romance, and problem-solving aspect, uh, aspects of Homer's the original themes. In the world of movies, there are two that come to mind when it comes to the Odyssey. And that, 
the first one that comes to mind with the Odyssey for me and my generation is none other is not another remake of the epic, but a story regarding a man of constant sorrow. That's right, the movie Oh Brother Where Art Thou is considered to be the loosest to the original poem Homer composed all those centuries ago do you, that a majority of millennial individuals relate to understanding best. With a fantastic soundtrack and comedic timing from the whole cast, it stands as the public school's go-to film whenever English literature has been discussing the Odyssey. In the film during the great, that sat during the Great Depression, a man named Ulysses Everett McGill, portrayed by George Clooney, was imprisoned for years, is now desperate to get home to his wife and kids, and convinces his chainmates that there is a great treasure he has hidden that they can all share, when lead, which leads them all to escaping their chain gang. It is the first film to use a digital intermediate, which was done on an, using a sepia filter as a middle ground for black and white versus color in terms of telling an old-fashioned movie. Instead of a war against Troy, Everett and his chainmates Delmar and Pete find themselves amidst a social war as well as imprisonment, as well as the risk of imprisonment. Each of the movie's characters is based in some way on the characters in the timeless poem. They survive long enough to find what they are they were looking for in the end. Eve Everett found his wife and kids, but unlike Penelope, she was not faithful to her husband. The mayor who pardons Everett and his friends is based on Zeus, and the blind record man is based on Homer. And John Goodman's character is based loosely on the Cyclops Polyphemus, and the warden who is after the escaped prisoners is based on Poseidon, who was out to get Ulysses in the myth. The main time religion had played a role in the plot was when Everett prayed to God to intervene, and a great flood came crashing down in the valley, killing the warden and his lackeys. He, Everett then attempts to come up with facts about why the flood actually happened when his friends ignored his perfectly scientific explanation. The biggest irony about this movie is that the only person among the entire cast and crew who actually studied and read the Odyssey was Tim Blake Nelson, who portrayed Del Mar, aka the dumb one. The themes that this modern satirical retelling hones in are on, on are the journey, religion, and war, but not with spears and shields, but instead warring against racism, injustice, and corruption, which were important to its 21st century audience. If you are looking for a more faithful adaption to the original content, look no further than the film Ulysses from the year 1954, starring the late Kirk Douglas as the titular character. The, the reason that it resonated with the post-World War or to the reason that resonated with the post-World War II generation is because the Odyssey is a post-war story about the heroes getting home to safety.
It was made during the era of new Hollywood as the movie industry fought to win back its audience after World War II, where people would go for the sake of knowing how close the war was coming was coming to an end from the battlefront and the Allied powers' efforts, as well as how to help their soldiers on the home front. Another issue in the industry was when the actors that had enlisted in the war returned and were debating on if they should continue to pursue a career in acting or not whilst dealing with the aftermath of war, mainly with PTSD. And among those veterans was Kirk Douglas. Since he was a survivor of war, he was ideal for the role as the hero who won in the end. He completed the adventure. He solved the problems. He overcame the trials. He survived the battle against the enemies of his country and against his family. He was in his patron God's favor, who helped him get to the, uh, each checkpoint in his journey. And best of all, he was reunited with his beloved wife, who found out that her husband had truly come home alive and well. It's a successful remake of the ultimate quest in Greek mythology. Fill the sea with limestone. Throw another and another. And when your father asks who took your eye, tell him it was Ulysses. Ulysses, destroyer of cities, sack of Troy, son of Laertes, and king of Ithaca. This adaption focused on the war and survival themes that society at the time was more attuned to. The three entertainment retellings are all completely different in presentation and execution, but the quorum theme stood firm. It is a story about a man overcoming hardships in order to get back to his family, who he loves more than anything. This story had withstood the test of time. Storytelling began in oral tradition, since it was the only way to be properly entertained. From fathers to sons, from mothers to daughters, from elders to youngsters, that was the way to pass stories on to, from generation to generation that they want, wanted to give in abundance. Then came the written word, which took a few, which took a few centuries to become the printed word. After that came the era of radio, television, and film. The Odyssey had traveled, has traveled through all these millennia of storytelling, proving to the world why it should not be forgotten. The structure of storytelling has a catalyst, climax, and resolution. Homer's epic is several stories woven together in a single tapestry. Each time Ulysses, or in Greek, Odysseus, and his crew arrive on an island that serves as the catalyst. Some of these catalysts include bliss, lust, shortcuts, monsters, and magic. This ends up getting his crew in life-threatening dangers and magical inconveniences, where Ulysses has to solve the problems using his logic. Since ancient Greece valued using logic and deductive reasoning, it is exemplified throughout the journey. Perhaps part of Homer's gift to the world is reminding the readers to use the logical part of your mind to solve your problems throughout your journey through life. The resolution of each quest was getting closer to home.
The reason these audiences resonate with Ulysses is because those are problems that the world has been and will continue to be stuck dealing with for as long as we live and breathe. These story structures have served as a backbone in storytelling for good reason, mainly because everyone wants answers for how to solve their problems. That alone is a journey in of itself. The word odyssey has been ingrained enough in our culture as to mean a great adventure journey that is more than worthwhile to take. This has been the odyssey of the odyssey. Now my audio odyssey has come to its epic conclusion. Oh,